Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In this video, I'll be telling you four of the most insane true revenge stories that have ever happened. Being attacked by a bear, trying to kill six million innocent people, and even not going to police for committing heinous crimes. You're gonna hear about all of that and more in this video. So get ready, here we go. Hugh Glass, whose comrades abandoned him after he got mauled by a bear. Now, if you've seen Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in The Revenants, then you already know the incredible story of Hugh Glass, who survived in the wilderness after his mangled body was abandoned by his comrades. Before he was left for dead, Hugh Glass was already a repeat survivor of unfortunate circumstances. After he was captured by pirates and served under their chief for two years, he managed to escape to the shores of Texas. He was captured again by the Pawnee tribe, with whom he lived for several years and later married a Pawnee woman. In 1822, he joined a ragtag group of 100 men hired to deal in fur trading with local Native American tribes. Known as Ashley's Hundred, named so for their commander, General William Henry Ashley, the men trekked up the Missouri River and later toward the west for trading. After the group arrived at Fort Kiowa in South Dakota, the men split up with Glass's group, heading westward toward the Yellowstone River. There, he encountered a giant grizzly bear with her two cubs. The bear charged before he could react and mauled his arms and chest within seconds. Somehow, Glass managed to kill the bear, but he was left in terrible shape. Nobody in his party expected him to survive his gnarly wounds. Yet, they strapped him to a makeshift gurney and hauled him back to camp. But it didn't take long for the men to realize that Hugh Glass had become a burden to their safety. They were approaching Arikara Indian Territory, a group of Native Americans hostile to American fur traders, and they needed to get out of there quickly. A man named Fitzgerald and another young boy were tasked to remain with Glass until he died and bury the body so that the natives wouldn't get it. Fearing for their own lives, Fitzgerald and the boy decided to leave Glass's beat-up body. They took all his equipment with them, leaving only a bearskin hide to cover his soon-to-be dead corpse. When Glass regained consciousness, he discovered festering wounds all over his body, a broken leg, and his ribs were thrashed so severely that his bones were exposed. He made out his whereabouts about 200 miles from Fort Kiowa, where the men were stationed. It seemed an impossible feat to get back on his own in his condition, but Glass persevered. He set his broken leg and wrapped himself tight in the bear hide and began making his way back to camp, driven by his need for revenge against Fitzgerald, who had left him to die. He sustained himself on forage berries, roots, and insects, and occasionally helped himself to buffalo carcasses that had been ravaged by wolves. After a while, he gained enough strength to walk instead of crawl. He encountered the friendly Lakota tribe and bargained his way onto their skin boats, which he rowed down the river for six weeks. When he arrived at Fort Atkinson, where the Ashley party had moved, he re-enlisted and later landed in the same port where his old frenemy, Fitzgerald, was stationed in Nebraska. According to eyewitness accounts of their reunion, Hugh Glass had stopped himself from killing Fitzgerald out of fear he'd be punished for killing another soldier. 
So instead, Glass gave Fitzgerald a promise. If the man ever left the army, Glass would kill him. Suffice to say, Fitzgerald served for as long as he could. Now, those of you that have seen The Revenant know this story, of course, but it might have been nice to hear a little bit more background. I just love that this man now can never leave the army or he knows that he's going to be tracked down and killed. That's just brilliant. Imagine that at the back of your head. You're like, I can never leave. I'm done. I'm literally done. There's actually something so like nice about that. Just Elon getting the revenge and the fear that Fitzgerald is going to have because yeah, look, you could attack him right now and try and kill him and maybe you would. Who knows? But also, how about you just wait like 50 years and in the back of his mind, he's always going to know he's in massive danger as soon as he leaves the army. The fear that would cause for that length of time, mental. Now moving on to our second real story of revenge. Diana, the vigilante femicide bus driver hunter. In recent years, there has been a growing pandemic of femicide in Mexico. That is the abduction and killing of women. It's estimated that six women are murdered every day in the country. And most alarmingly, news reports revealed many of these crimes were aided by local officials and transit officers, including city bus drivers, who sometimes doubled as drug dealers. The worsening conditions have spurred a grassroots movement of women rights activists who are bringing wider attention to this horrific trend. But rampant corruption in law enforcement has often forced women to take matters into their own hands. One of these female vigilantes is a woman named Diana. Nicknamed the bus driver hunter, Diana was a disguised vigilante who worked to avenge the more than 800 girls and women allegedly killed or abducted by Theodad Juarez bus drivers. After murdering two bus drivers suspected of being accomplices in these crimes against women, Diana sent out this letter to local news outlets explaining her actions. You think that because we are women, we are weak. And that may be true, but only up to a point. Because even though we have nobody to defend us and we have to work long hours until late into the night to earn a living for our families, we can no longer be silent in the face of these acts that enrage us. We were victims of sexual violence from bus drivers working the McKillar night shifts here in Juarez. And although a lot of people know about the things we've suffered, nobody defends us, nor does anything to protect us. That's why I am an instrument that will take revenge for many women. For we are seen as weak, but in reality, we are not. We are brave. And if we don't get respect, we will earn that respect with our own hands. We, the women of Juarez, are strong. Reporter Yuri Herrera, who covered Diana's story on This American Life, spoke with female public transit users in Ciudad Juarez, where the homicide rate is double that of the entire country, about the armed vigilante. One young mother remarked candidly, how great that someone's doing what many of us should have done. Another woman commented on her bravery, saying, I'm not sure what she did is justified, but you've got to admit that the woman has guts. The public's response to the vigilante fighting for women's safety clearly stems from the public's hopelessness in the face of the growing murders. First, the police denied the problem. Then they played it down. And finally, they blamed the victim's lifestyle and their families, explained Oscar Mayneth, a criminologist who's worked on numerous femicide cases in Mexico. Possibly wearing a bright blonde wig, Diana's MO has been a quick bullet or two to the back of the head from a revolver. It's unclear how many times she's acted, but her extreme actions have definitely had the intended effect on conspiratorial men looking to hurt more women. We're terrified, said one bus driver, complaining of constant headaches due to the strain of looking over his shoulder for fear of Diana's reprisal. We're frightened of our own shadow. So far, Diana remains at large 
And while her revenge against the men who continue to harm and kill Mexican women has not stopped the rising toll of victims, it has provided women some form of comfort that someone is looking out for them. Perhaps they will realize that it's not so easy to abuse women now. One female passenger said with a smile. Wow, okay, so it seems like this story is still going on. I wonder if Diana's ever gonna get caught. That is an event that I would love to keep up with. Is she doing a good thing? That's the question. Because look, as that bus driver said, he's always looking over his shoulder now. Innocent bus drivers in the past may well have been killed. Is it worth a few innocent people dying to save the lives of many? I'd say yes, but hey, it's up to you. What do you reckon? Comment down below. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And now for our third incredible true story of revenge the jewish vigilantes of nakam who tried to poison six million germans It's no surprise that nazis have been the target of many true revenge stories After the end of the second world war a man named abba kovna started a group of jewish vigilantes under the name nakam Their mission kill as many germans as possible Kovna believed in an old testament style of justice Since the Nazis had wiped out 6 million Jews in the Holocaust, the lives of 6 million Germans should also be taken as fair reparations, an eye for an eye, as it were. Abakovna quickly recruited his fellow Jewish men to form the Nakam Militia, a name likely drawn from the Hebrew word Nokmim, which translates to Avengers. Heaven forbid if after the war, we had just gone back to the routine without thinking about paying those idiots back, said Nakam member Yehuda Maimon of the group's objective. It would have been awful not to respond to those animals the group hatched a plan simply known as plan a which involved poisoning the water supply of five german cities the targeted sites were nuremberg weimar hamburg frankfurt and munich each one heavily tied to the recently destroyed nazi regime in their revenge plan nakam's 50 or so members infiltrated the water departments in each city disguised as engineers and workers to study the water systems. The next part was to travel to Palestine and obtain moral permission and poison for the mass murder from one of Kovner's friends, Kaim Weizmann, the future president of Israel, who also happened to be a chemist. The story goes that Weizmann was on board with the Nakam's smaller revenge plan to poison Nazi prisoners, but he had no idea that they were targeting the water supply of millions of Germans. When the true nature of Plan A was revealed, Jewish leaders in Palestine contacted the British to stop Kovna during his travel back to Europe. Having some misgivings himself about Plan A and sensing his imminent arrest, Kovna sent a letter instructing the Nakam to carry out Plan B instead and had the poison he carried with him dumped overboard just before British authorities moved to seize him as he reached Europe. The new target was Stalag 13, an allied prisoner of war camp in Nuremberg. There, the Nakam Avengers intended to kill 12,000 former SS officers being held prisoner. Under the leadership of Joseph Harmatz, on April 13th, 1946, the group spread a mixture of glue and arsenic into 3,000 loaves of bread meant for the Nazi prisoners. 
By the end of the day, more than 2,000 were hospitalized. Although the revenge plan was carried out successfully, reports following the mass hospitalization at the prisoner's camp stated no deaths from the poisoning episode. Whether intentional or not, it's possible the Nakams has spread the poison too thin thus reducing its potency. Ultimately, neither Kovner nor any other Nakam member was charged with any crimes in connection with these plots. German prosecutors investigated the matter decades later, but they didn't file charges due to the extraordinary circumstances of the case. You know what? Obviously, I might be wrong here and there's no way of me ever knowing this, but I do kind of get the feeling that these guys who so badly wanted revenge, in reality, when it came to it, probably started to second guess themselves. It kind of does seem as if they knew what they were doing, maybe spreading the poison too thinly or, you know, going back on plan A, for example. I don't know. It's an interesting one though, isn't it? Like, I get the whole eye for an eye argument, but look, 6 million people died. Do you really want to kill six more million innocent people come on not really doesn't make much sense does it and i think these guys ultimately knew that now moving on to story number four the savage killing of a serial r-word aku yadav by a mob of women that he awed. Again, guys, I can't say that word, but you can probably infer what it is. Look on the screen if you want any sort of indication. For many years, Aku Yadav was seemingly untouchable, even though he was a notorious criminal. He was known to have awed more than 200 women from the Kasturban Nagar slum of New Delhi, preying mostly upon members of the untouchable caste, the lowest members of India's social hierarchy who received little to no help from authorities. Yadav also routinely bribed corrupt officials so they would drop his cases and had a gaggle of henchmen that worked at his behest. Despite countless women coming forward with allegations against him, Yadav always managed to remain free to R whomever he wanted. In fact, whenever a victim reported him to the police, the authorities would alert Yadav, who would then visit the woman and threaten to throw acid on them or R them again. He'd awed so many women in the neighborhood that many believed that an R victim lives in every other house in the slum. How is this guy able to get away with this? This is crazy. But the women's revenge would come sooner than they expected, starting with the actions of Usha Narayani, a victim who'd repeatedly been harassed by Yadav. With help from her brother-in-law, Narayani reported Yadav to the deputy commissioner who promised that police would arrest the serial R-word. The residents of the slum seemed in little mood to wait, though. That night, Yadav's house was knocked down by angry neighbors and local residents, and, perhaps fearing for his life for the first time, Yadav surrendered to the police. The next day in court, Narayani and many other local women, most of them victims or friends and family of Yadav's victims, heard that Yadav was likely to escape punishment yet again. Together, though, they swarmed the courthouse, armed with vegetable knives, stones, and whatever else that was at hand. As he walked past the angry women in court, Aku Yadav taunted one of them, calling her a prostitute and threatening to awe her again. And the policeman who was escorting him laughed. The arrogance of Yadav and the open neglect of the police, who were supposed to protect the women, caused the woman to simply snap and an altercation quickly broke out. We can't both live on this earth together. It's you or me, the woman cried as she began beating Yadav with her sandal. The other woman quickly converged on Yadav as well. The mob was so violent and overwhelming that the police guards quickly fled the courtroom, leading Yadav to the armed mob. The attack lasted for more than 10 minutes and left Yadav's body completely dead and butchered on the courtroom floor with 70 stab wounds 
and his penis cut off. It was not calculated. Nariani later spoke of the incident. It was not a case that we all sat down and calmly planned what would happen. It was an emotional outburst. The woman decided that, if necessary, they'd go to prison, but that this man would never come back and terrorize them. Indeed, when police tried to arrest five of the women for Yadav's death, all the women in the village protested, and soon every one of them had taken responsibility for the murder. Narayani and several other women were arrested and tried, but were eventually released due to lack of evidence. The death of Akuyadav at the hands of the women he tortured was a wake-up call to the police about rampant sexual violence against Indian women and remains one of the most satisfying stories of revenge out there. And there we go, saving the most serious case of revenge, if you want to call it that, till last. That is why you always have to stick around to the end of my revenge videos, because normally, I'll be honest, we have the most tame stuff at the beginning, and then it gets worse and worse, and more dark as the video goes on, as this one was. I mean, wow, what a, what a story once again. To be fair, all four of these stories were actually insane. But that one, crazy. I just can't get my head around the fact that everyone knew what he was doing and nobody stopped him. Like, not even the police, nobody stopped, no one cared enough. Just letting this guy go around doing what he wanted, just ruining lives, so many lives, and then there being no repercussions for it. I don't think I'll ever get my head around that. That is unbelievable. I mean, you did the right. I don't even care about him. Like, you just did the right thing. Ultimately, if he's not going to be put in prison, then yeah, kill him. I don't care. Get rid of him. Anyway, guys, that is going to do it for this episode of r slash nuclear revenge. If you want to call it that, pretty much it was just looking at four of the most insane real stories of revenge that have ever happened in history. If you want to see four more, I actually made a video very similar to this one about a week ago. Um, Check it out right here. It's a great one with more insane real stories of revenge. Watch it. Tell me if you like it. And if you love it, let me know. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.